0: Welcome back to The Game Pit. This is the second of our SN Preview shows, and my name's Sean.
1: Yeah, we are going to run through another ten games that are expected to be released at the SN24 Spiel. and My name's Ronan, and the games I want to talk to you about today are Deus, Isaribi, Evolution, King's Pouch, and Royals. And Sean, what would you like to talk to us about?
0: Oh, well, Ronan, I'm going to talk about Doodle City. The Fields of Arla, Aquasphere, the Lord of the Ice Garden, and Sheffield.
1: We are members of the Dice Tower Network. Please head over to DiceTowerNetwork.com and catch all the best gaming podcasts that are around. And also, you can find us on 2d6.org with the best written, audio, and video gaming content. <laughs>
0: So, first up this episode from me is a game called Doodle City. It comes from Porter Games, and it's designed by Elif Svensson, who did a game called Mangrovia, and Christian Amundsen-Oosterby, and Christian is most famous for Escape Curse of the Temple. It plays one to six players in a time frame of about 30 minutes. So what is it? Players are going to receive a sheet of paper with a 5x5 grid on it. Each of the boxes have a picture of either a house, a hotel, a shop, or a taxi. Each turn, the start player will roll one blue die and one or more white dice than the player count. So for the three players, you're gonna roll four white dice. The blue dice denotes that the column That the players must draw in and then they choose a white dice that will represent the row in which they can draw in. Players may then draw one vertical, horizontal or curved line to the edge of two adjacent boxes. The exception to the rule being on the houses box where players simply cross out one of the available house spaces. If players can't make a legal move then they cross out one of the seven trees at the bottom of their sheet. The idea of this game is to connect roads and include the various icons which score in different ways. The hotels immediately score when you connect them to a road and they score the length of the road they are connected to. However, you can only score that particular score once. For instance, if a player connects five roads to the hotel scoring five points, they mark off the five point score on that hotel and then that cannot be scored again for that hotel. Shops, they immediately score the amount of crossed-out houses that they are connected to, and again, only once. Taxis score at the end of the game, and they gain you four points for every one of them that is connected to at least one other taxi. So if you have six taxis, but four are connected to other taxis, then you're going to score 16 points. The trees that I mentioned earlier, they score the person with the least crossed out trees for four points, and the person with the most will get to minus four points. There are also bonus points for the first person to connect certain numbers of houses to shops. The game ends when a person either connects a 15 point hotel, a shop connects to 10 crossed out houses, or somebody uses their last tree i've deliberately gone light because i've got some heavy explanations to come ronan what did you feel about doodle city
1: well it's the year of the doodle isn't it all these doodle games coming out i don't know what's going on i think the first thing that's going to interest you in this game is that christian amazon osby's name is linked to it so obviously the design of escape mammoth hotel Square, like you said that's gonna perk up. Is that what first caught your eye about it,
0: Sean? Yes and no. I'm not actually a big fan of Escape, as we've discussed many times on the show, but to have that name designer certainly piqued my interest. Really, though, when I was going through the big list of Essen games, it just stood out as being a little bit different. Now, yeah, we've had Doodle Quest. Last episode, we talked about Looney Quest, but this, again, is a game where you're connecting city icons. It looks clear and crisp, and it kind of just stood out from this crowd of Civ building 4X games, you're a worker placement games, So that, that's what originally drew me to it, Ronan.
1: Yeah, but we now have got other doodle games around, so I'm not sure I can fairly compare it to 4X games, and worker placement games. And I have to see it in the field in which it's put itself, in these drawing games in which more and more are coming. And when I put it against them, it, it, the appeal of those games has to be visual. There has to be something going on that attracts the eye and makes you interested. And this just looks so dull. It's just dull, pastel-coloured city grid works. And there's no variety in the sheets either. And you only get a 100 sheets with the game, which I—it's enough for a few games. I get it. But it's not endless. You can't keep using it and using it. And this is not grabbing my eye, Sean.
0: When I first looked at it, I actually thought, yeah, you know what, it's quite interesting. Uh, I actually quite liked the design, the simplicity of the design. Everything's clear, the icons just stand out from the page. I thought that was actually quite a nice design. But after researching Looney Quest for our last episode, yeah, I'm kind of with you there. It doesn't really once you start looking at those other, other doodle games and drawing games, it doesn't really pop out from, the, from that list. We said this before, and in in if, if we go all the way back to our last SM 2013 preview, when we talked about blueprints, Ryan, right? you raised the question, what, what's to stop somebody actually just going out, printing some sheets off, getting some dice, and playing this game on their own?
1: Yeah, to be honest, nothing. Once that map, the image of that map is up on anywhere on the internet you print out and you you own the game because it's just a few dice on that as to as to restrict where you can draw on the map and it's just one map as well so i really don't understand they are not charging a lot of money for it so it's not a complaint on that side it's only 15 euro at the fair but but why i think we're, we're getting towards where i'm going here but but why
0: well, okay, Ryan, you said it yourself. We're getting towards where the point where I think we know what we feel about the game. Do you want to sum up for us?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting designer. They've put out a cheap retail price, but there's just not enough to interest me. It looks too fiddly to appeal to kids. The theme is, I think, too boring to really appeal to kids. It's not visually appealing enough, and there's not enough decisions for adults and hobby gamers there, so I'm not sure who it does appeal to. It falls between two stools... For me, it's definitely a trap.
0: Well, yeah, for me, I think I did... I was interested, until you made me research Looney Quest, I don't know that there's enough interaction in the game. It doesn't seem to be actually doing anything to each other other than just maybe taking the white dice that somebody wanted. So you can kind of just sit and play this game on your own. Would it be better as an Android or an iOS game? probably would you play it very often probably not yeah you can make this game yourself at home just by copying the design or even make your own design up which again maybe that says a lot about my my thought process but not enough in the game for me it was an interesting idea and i do give anybody coming up with something new the plaudits that they deserve but in this case it's not really doing anything that i want it to do so for me it's a trap
1: my first offering for you this week is deus this is designed by sebastian dujardin who's the designer of toit and tournay and it's published by pearl games they also published toit and tournay uh, and also brussels 1893 which came out at the last Essen fair This is a game for two to four players, plays in apparently 75 minutes. It is another civilization building game. This is card driven. So you're going to be playing cards from your hand to gather resources and construct buildings of six different types on a modular board. Now, from the six different types of buildings, they come in certain types. There's militaries, there's ones for resource collection, etc. And also they come... When you build a colour of a building, so if I build a military building, I trigger all the buildings of that colour I've built previously. So there's an interest there in sort of building up a set and following a particular path in terms of your strategy. Now these buildings are built onto a modular map which is made up of different terrain types and different terrain types give you different types of resources and rather than just building all the time with your hand of cards you can also sacrifice your cards to certain gods in the game for bonuses which will let you plan ahead for further moves. So just dig in just a little bit deeper into those rules there are five types of terrain which come on these modular boards and four of them produce certain resources so you know the green produces the green and the gray produces the gray as natural within these games there are sea types which you know built ships on and not other types of buildings again makes sense and there are also barbarian spaces and barbarian spaces are surrounded by other terrain types and barbarian spaces cannot be built on but if they get completely surrounded then they get conquered by whoever's surrounded most around them with armies which is those red military buildings i was discussing earlier and when all the barbarians go that can trigger the end game you can use your buildings to spread across the board. You can never have two of the same type in any space. So I couldn't build a green in a space and then Sean come along and build a green in the same space or I do myself build two greens in the same space. You can also, as well as building things, to get resources, build this military to go out and attack barbarians. You can build temples, which is a kind of almost a different way of going things. So they give you different bonuses, but temples are slightly different to those five types of buildings I talked about before. And you have to have sets of those five types to build build buildings. So I said earlier if you build lots of one colour, you keep triggering the same buildings again and again. But another way to go is try and build sets of these coloured buildings so you can build temples, which will give you very handy bonuses. They're big Victory point earners. Now, all the other cards are themed, so those ships you build on the sea, they allowed you to commit trade. Like I say, the armies allow you to attack. There's science buildings you can build, and they almost kind of replace those offerings to the gods I said we were talking about where you can throw cards in and, and get a bonus from the gods. If you build science buildings, they do that for you. There's civil buildings you can build, which which rewards you for having lots of buildings in one place and building bigger cities. Sean, is a card driven civilization building game where it's very Euro, you're grabbing resources and building buildings and looking to conquer little bits of the map. Any thoughts on it?
0: Okay, right Let's start off with the look of the game. I think your little player tableau, your little player boards where you build up the cards. They actually have, have a look of suburbia about them and they're quite simple, nothing too taxing on them, just quite heavy with information after you get the, the main picture. that central board though. that's That's interesting. I'm not sure if i like it or not i just can't i'm looking at it right now this second and it really reminds me of romolo and remo from last lesson and when i got to see that up close it looked really poor it looked the design of the actual modular board looked really bad and this looks like that from a distance but yeah it's 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 a strange old design. You've got the sort of clinical side with the cards and your player board, and then you've got this artistic flowy thing in the middle, Ronan.
1: Yeah, so, like, the different terrain types are almost teardrop shape, would you say? Kind of curl around, they a bit unusual. Yeah, they shape. are, yeah. And they're surrounded by white as well. It's just something you don't usually see. Like, it, the map doesn't flow. They're not trying to make it look like a map it's clearly these are different blocks of terrain and and purely for gameplay now whether when you've got all the different colour buildings out that's what you're interested in In just I don't want it to look like that I want to see the separate blocks as separate blocks and it helps gameplay we don't know that yet obviously not having played it so with you on that not that taken with the look of the map I do think the cards look good though Um, I think the wooden pieces seem nice so overall in components I think They've obviously put a lot into it and they've made a particular decision whether that's functionality over what to me is not that pleasing on the eye. I hope that's where they've gone.
0: Right, so taking on your point, which which really sort of sets me up nicely, because that map is kind of abstract... I don't know that that central map lends itself to the theme of the game. It feels a little bit abstracted. It doesn't feel like I'm exploring. It doesn't feel like I'm doing anything other than placing cubes or wooden pieces onto a board in order to almost like chess-like move them into certain places to take other places.
1: Well, I don't think it's really supposed to. I think it's a Euro. The theme is there just to add lubrication to the gameplay, basically, in the mechanism, just to give you some point as to what you're doing. They're not going fully 4X. It's not a thematic game. They're not. You're not trying to tell a story. You're trying to explore the different strategic paths, look for different card combos and the 96 cards they give you, see what strategies work for you, what work against different strategies of other players, interact a little bit on the map by the armies, but this is very much... Forget the paintings on the box and the idea that you're building civilization the rest of it this is a euro game you're getting resources you're building combinations of cards and you're trying to score points so i wouldn't look too much for the theme on here i don't think that's what they're trying to achieve
0: cool right now we're getting somewhere so it would seem that apart from the strategic side of surrounding your barbarians and getting certain buildings into certain places to score your points it would seem that the meat of of this game is all in those cards that's where your information is contained that's where your bonuses are, are gathered so i think it's it's going to be so key how those cards interact with each other and the options that they give you do they give you enough options to make the game because i don't think what you've got in the middle as you said is completely abstracted is very euro the tailor the tape for me will be how well those cards work
1: i think sort of a comparison we can put it with is imperial settlers from last time round, whereby we can discuss the gameplay we can get a feel of it but a lot of that game is in how the cards are played how your own civilization cards works with the generic cards and with days, i think the same thing until we get those cards and we play with them and we see how the combinations work any impression we give can only be skin deep at this stage
0: yeah, absolutely. I think it was probably a little bit easier to work out in the Imperial Settlers what the cards are going to do roughly, because there there wasn't really as much information contained in those cards, and so sort of they weren't as key. Each card wasn't as key, but yeah, definitely. We will find out when, once we get down and start playing with those cards how well it actually works. To sum up on this one, I think I'd have to be in a certain frame of mind where theme wasn't as important to me the gameplay would have to completely grab me those cards would have to almost do the work of the theme from another game for me they'd have to interest me they'd have to work well together there would have to be a lot of things happening for those cards at the moment i can't really see if they're going to work so what i'm going to judge the game on probably harshly is the thematic side of it and that central board so for me at the moment it's a trap because i just don't like the abstract feel of that central board
1: so this is definitely where our thematic versus euro game preferences clash on because i really like the look of it i think that it that card plays can be interesting i think it provides you with strategy and, and different areas to explore i think the map is more a facilitator of the game rather than really vital and all your concentration on it it's almost what happens on the map is a result of what you've done with the cards and i really like a card combo game and you're going imperial settlers in this sort of area for this essen i'm going Deus. use i've pre-ordered it i think it's going to be a treasure
0: So, next up for me is one of the biggie releases. This is from Z-Man Games, and it is Fields of Arla, designed by the ever-famous Uwe Rosenberg, who needs no introduction, but if you do need to know what he's done in the past, look up Agricola and Caverna, and particularly those two games, because they are very similar to Fields of Arla. It plays one to two players, with a suggested playing time of about 120 minutes. This is one of the most personal games for Uwe Rosenberg. The story is set in, for instance, the village that his father was born and where his parents married. One of the places that you can visit in the game is where his father grew up. It's a very personal game to Uwe. So, as I said, it's very similar You'll, you'll get the feel of this if you've played Agricola or Caverna before. Each player is going to start off with a home board with a few areas in farming use, but mostly they're going to be full of waterlogged moor. Later on, these areas will be, need to be diked and drained to allow them to produce resources. Players also will have a barn board, which is used to store equipment. In the middle of the table is going to be the main player board. And this is where the main state of this game takes place. Players will place their workers to get actions that improve their productivity, acquire buildings, trade, buy equipment, and other very similar things. The game is going to take place over nine rounds, which each one representing a half season. So one's going to be the winter half and one's going to be the summer half. The number of actions are divided into summer and winter, and they can only be generally used with their corresponding seasons. So in the summer, you can only use the summer actions and or, and likewise with the winter, there's going to be an opportunity for one player to place on the on the opposite seasons per round. The gameplay is going to play out as follows. First off, you've got your preparation round, and funnily enough, that's where you're going to do your preparation. Your fir- the first player markers are going to be placed out, and the buildings are going to be refreshed, and that-, that kind of thing. Next up is your work face. You have four workers in this game, and each one of them is going to be placed on an available action space. So once they're taken, nobody can use them unless they get a special ability later on. So as I said one they're going to be placed in winter or summer depending on the round. Next up inventory round and then you're going to reap your rewards and you're going to pay your upkeep you've got if you've got any cattle or Anything you need to pay for you're going to get that, but you're going to also harvest your resources as well. No point in going into this game in depth because we will be here all night. It is a massively intense game that as as I said is suggested as playing it out for two hours. but I'm just going to run through a few of the things that can be done. You can dike your moors, that means you're draining the moors so that peat can be cut, they can be plowed, and then you've got, all of a sudden you've got grain fields and you can build and use your buildings. They're going to give you little bonuses or allow you to do extra things in the game. Breed animals, very much like Agricola, where you uh, have different animals that you can be bred and brought into. You obviously have to f- uh, fence off your fields. Uh, you can make goods. One of the different things, though, is travel to nearby locations. And these is, this is where you go and trade your goods. You can grow forests, turn them into parks, gain equipment and, and loads more things. So at the end of the game, you're gonna get victory points for the following. Clothing and building material, equipment in your barn, travel experience. This is gained when you do go out to trade at other location. You have a good track because you're making goods. Uh, as far, It depends on how far you get up on that. You're going to score points. You're scoring points for buildings, stalls, stables, forests, parks. But you're going to get minus points for any waterlogged moors that remain on your board. You're also going to get points for the amount of animals and the set collection of animals. As I said, I'm not going to go any deeper into it. Ronan, Fields of Arla.
1: The most important thing here, Sean, is that... We come from a background from the west of Ireland, and finally, the gaming world is recognising the <laughs> peat-based economy is possibly the finest economy in the world, and that you can actually pay for anything with peat, and that a sod of turf is worth as much as a bar of gold. What do you think?
0: Oh, I couldn't agree anymore. <laughs> Getting stuck in those bog fields of mayo oh, brings a tear to my eye now that I think I can actually sell some of those in that bog land.
1: Do you know how happy I was to see that you drain bogs and cut Pete? I was just... <laughs> little, that brought a tear to my eye. That took a moment. I would put a little bit of the doublers in the background.
0: Okay, so uh, moving on from my own.
1: I can't move backstory. on from the Pete. I'm obsessed.
0: <laughs> Have you got anything else to say about the
1: game? Look, a- anyone listening to this is going to know if this game is for them or not. All right? It's a three-hour Uwe Rosenberg worker placement game about farming in Germany. You build this, you drain that, you produce the other, and you score some points. That's... Is that appeal to you or not? Because this... It looks really interesting. It really does. But the question I have to ask, and the owner has to ask myself, is do you need another one of these? It's not a very different theme, obviously from Agricola and All Creatures Big and Small. Also... You know, Aura at Labora, and Caverna, and it's not the same theme. It even looks similar to Glass Road. It's green. It's in Germany. You're producing stuff. You're trading stuff. You've got the same kind of discs for the resources. Not the same wheel as you had in Glass Road, but the same discs. It just screams all of his other previous games. The first point is I would love some variety in theme and approach from Uwe Rosenberg. I would like to see him get drunk one night and design something wildly, wildly different.
0: Oh, hallelujah, brother. He, he needs a new theme. And I understand that this one is sort of a labour of love almost, and he's going back to his heritage. But,
1: yeah, I think... And our heritage, with Pete. And our heritage, sorry, 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 sorry.
0: He needs to get something, change it up, even if it is worker placement, getting resources. Let's just have some difference. The game looks startlingly like Agricola. You start off with a a slew of fields. The only thing that I could say is slightly different and interesting, and actually quite a nicely designed board, is the barn board. But other than that, you've just got this sea of... You realise
1: you just got a little bit excited about a board that Displays some slots in a barn.
0: I think that just shows you. <laughs> it tells He's you
1: it's broken. Just,
0: you, it's broken. I think that tells you everything you need to know about a, an Uwe Rosenberg game. Now, getting on to the actual game, does it do anything at all different to the likes of Agricola? Um, not really. I think the winter and summer actions is interesting. It does force you. To plan your moves one ahead which is always a good idea in curricula but sometimes you live for the moment but this one always you're always thinking about oh well, i can only do this on winter i can only do this on summer so you kind of have to almost plan two moves ahead with this one i like the trade aspect going out and trading your goods but i mean how how dramatic is that going to actually play out is it just going to be a case of i've done this here you go pop, pop up pop that up on the track and get rid of a couple of goods Uh, I don't know other than that it just seems to be playing out exactly the same as Agricola for me
1: Mm, I I disagree the fact that in Agricola your growth of your family is massively important and growing your house to be able to to house them is massively important the fact that uh, I know you have to feed a bit in this but there's always peat you can always eat peat alright so that's good um I think it's much more towards a sort of traditional worker placement game away from Agricola. I know that sounds strange because Agricola is clearly a worker placement game, but it's got those sort of reoccurring uh, spaces that fill up, which change the balance of what you're trying to do, and it's very blocky, and there are certain things you have to get done and manipulate the start player and what have you. This has got, I think, a lot more breadth to the gameplay at least to start with it seems that way the breadth and variety of what you can go about and do in, improve your tools or do more trading or get your fields you know more flax fields or more food fields whatever there's there's different ways to go make lots of different clothing loads of variety in the end though is it that you have to trade you definitely have to develop your land in some way are you just following branching paths to the same destination whereas in agricola yeah there's not that many really you know wide strategic paths you can go down and you can end up in slightly different ways but the scoring system makes you kind of try and get one of everything in fields of arles it seems way way broader but does it actually then pinch in, even narrower at the far end, and everyone has scored points for pretty much similar outcomes to all the varied actions they've taken.
0: Yeah, well, for sure. I think that you're going to end up doing the same things as other people, roughly. Maybe a couple of rounds later, maybe you start off, and, as you said, start off in one direction, but you're going to have to you're going to have to look after the same things. You're going to have to look after the same concerns. You're going to have to build up the same things and end up in a very similar place. I don't see anybody's player board looking massively different at the end of the game.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I will, What I'll say to it, though, is that in terms of the theme, since we've ragged on them a little bit, I think this does seem a bit less abstracted than these other efforts in the area it does seem a bit tighter and more focused on theme maybe it is that personal touch to it but you have your four workers it, it goes through you know a sensible progression of seasons this idea that you have this kid and then the kid is working for you the next time round, and there's no set sort of time periods to, to some of his other games in this one It it does feel a bit more like you're running a farm. A bit of a weird farm that starts a bit rubbish and for some reason the next four and a half years becomes really good. So, I don't know, they've they've got some management consultant in or something. But, more focus and it feels like you might be a bit more invested in what you've developed as opposed to perhaps just a a way to score points. Maybe. Theme man, what do you think? I don't know. Am I I pushing you there? Are you not seeing it?
0: I'm I'm not seeing a hell of a lot more theme than... Than in Agricola or, or at Labora I think he's he's one sort of journey out with a bit of theme in it was Caverna he he just brought in that slight franchise. let's just point
1: out that plastic gems do not equal theme okay carry on <laughs> well, dwarfs don't equal theme
0: it was his attempt at theme he tried to change it up very very slightly he kept the same game but he brought dwarves and weapons and things into and caves
1: donkeys
0: and Donkey. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't see the theme really stepping out from this one above any of the other efforts. Would you like to sum up for us, Ronan?
1: So, as I said a few minutes ago, you know if you want this game or not. Do you want a two- or three-hour, two-player farming game from Uwe Rosenberg? Okay. In my case, Agricola's been played a lot recently. All creatures big and small is getting played two-player a lot. So actually, I think this is going to be a yes because I'm pretty sure it's going to get played. And I'm pretty sure that once I start playing it, the puzzle of it will grab me and I will enjoy it. I will just say though, he has to find something new because even I, and I'm a big Agricola fan, I am becoming a little bit jaded from seeing the same clothing on fairly similar mechanisms from Mr. Rosenberg. But for me, treasure.
0: Well, to be honest, I think you just said exactly what I wanted to say. I own Agricola. I own Caverna. But this one, yeah, it it does tickle me slightly. It does interest me. Maybe it's just the fact that I really enjoy those games and anything that's even the slightest bit different is going to just automatically be interesting me. Whether I'm going to go and buy it this Essen, I don't know. I think eventually, once I do get bored of a, a Agricola, and especially
1: since you I... bored of life,
0: <laughs> especially since I play Agricola most often two-player, and this one is actually made for two players. I think I will actually end up getting it. Whether it's, as I said, whether it's at this Essen, I don't know. But for me, it's a treasure and I couldn't echo Ronan anymore when I say that, yeah, he does need to get a new shtick. That's feels of Valor.
1: So next game we're going to be discussing for our SM preview is Isaribi. This was designed by Hisashi Hayashi. He's a designer of Trains, Sail to India, String Railway, Trick of the Rails, which is getting reprinted at Essen. It is published by Okazu Brand, which is basically Mr. Hayashi's uh, publishing arm. It published all of his games. It's for three to five players. It's around 60 minutes. It is an action point assignment game themed around being a fisherman in a 17th century japanese fishing village you're attempting to catch fish to sell them at the market you're going to use your action points to go fishing to upgrade your equipment and the goal of the game at the end is to have the most money and be the most successful fisherman in the village so players are represented by wooden boats on a central board on that central board there are basically three areas One is a fishing area, one is the harbour and one is the market. There is a separate board for tracking everyone's money and also each player gets a board to represent their boat and their fishing equipment and your life as a simple fisherman. You start with one and a half action points per round and you may upgrade to more. That's one and a half action points. Um, Sean's going to mention that later. Of the four types of fish you can catch, you can catch clams, but they only come at one at a time. When you go fishing for mackerel and prawns, you tend to catch more, and then bream, which are the bigger fish, you tend to catch fewer. Although you may upgrade your net and attempt to catch more of them apart from those clams. They're always one at a time. You can increase your storage area. So currently, when you start, you've got a storage area for one fish, which goes from turn to turn, but you can upgrade that and store more and hope to get better market prices for the fish you've gone out and caught now each upgrade is going to help you but it costs you money and money is your victory points so that's kind of the balance you're looking for Uh, in terms of how it actually plays each round fish cards are placed out at sea there's like i say more prawn and mackerel around there are also market cards laid out now they're all face down apart from one so you don't know what the market demand is going to be apart from that first one and then the start player uses their ap's ...or they pass. So you use your one half action points or you pass. And every turn, that's going to be the same. You use as many action points as you want to use or you pass. Also, the amount of action points you have... ...you can use as often as you want. So every time the turn order comes around to you... ...if you want to take actions, you can take actions. There is no point at which you must pass. However, whoever passes first is going to be first player next turn, which can be very important for rushing out and getting to the market and getting the best prices. Also, they get the first dibs at collaborators, and collaborators are basically people who are going to help you. They'll give you a temporary special power for one round, and then you must give them back. Each turn around the board, a new market is going to flip. So the longer you hold on, the more information you're going to have about the market, but alternatively, people can jump in and sell their fish. So on your turn, you're going to move fish, sell gain technology and you're trying to make lots of money. Now, after five rounds of this overall, so as many turns as you like on a round, but after five rounds of the whole thing, the game ends. You're going to get a penalty for any fish you can't store at the end of the round, by the way, and you must return your collaborators, so those are temporary. That's why first player to pass gets dibs at them. Sean, it's a action point assignment game, and I am going to lead you in to the first comment, I'm afraid, because you can keep your trashy plastic components, and your rubies from Caverna. This is gaming bling to me. This is beauty.
0: Ronan, I concur. (gasps) What?
1: I know, I know.
0: I think it looks lovely. It brings a fresh look to the game. I love those ships. They look almost cute. It's not the most thematic-looking game in the world, but, yeah, I really do... I think it looks nice. I've, I'm a big fan of the design of this game.
1: Well, knock me down. Okay. <laughs> um, I One of the things I like about it is that it seems to be very interactive. And judging when to pass and when to carry on using your action points as they refresh all the time is going to be very important who gets to empty the best fishing spots because they've limited numbers of fish in them and who's going to get back to that market and fulfill the contracts and the timing of that's going to be very interesting because do you risk it and hang on and wait and see what market contracts uh, turn up later on and see if they suit the sort of fishing you've been doing the stock of fish is also going to dictate the flow of each round because there's limited numbers of fish how they go and how they last is obviously going to sort of Speak to how long you're going to be out there attempting to fish for. Naturally, is a fishing game. So lovely, simple components, but maybe a bit of interaction and interest in the, in that side of it as well, Sean.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there's definitely things that everybody needs to keep keep track of. Obviously, you're, as you said, you're competing for those fishing areas. The market's going to play a massive massive part in this game. It kind of reminds me, and it kind of feels like an amalgamation of two games that we've played before, Ryan. Uh You'll probably completely disagree with me because I often go off on a weird tangent with these. I think it reminds me of Upon a Salty Ocean and Fleet. And I think it takes elements from both of those games. I think... Especially from Apollo Salty Ocean with that trade market. I know that only had the two types of fish, but that trade, not knowing how the market was going to play out, having to send your ships out, having that player board where you store your fish and you have to increase it. I really, it really feels like that for me. We weren't the biggest fans of that game.
1: Actually, I didn't mind it too much. I think I was a slightly bigger fan of it than you were. I wanted to play a bit more and explore it, and you traded it. You didn't tell me. but perhaps we shouldn't go back over our old grudges <laughs> i hate you <laughs> <laughs> um, I, i'm definitely getting the apollo salt the ocean feel of it and you know going out to the fishing and coming back and timing it Apollo Salty the ocean was way way sort of more going on than less if you know more complications or built adding to buildings in the town and things like that but also less in that mm, i don't think sort of the player interaction was quite so much i don't think individual actions were as important there was a timing issue in going fishing and back i feel like in this one it's going to be a bit more so fleet fleet you're pushing me a little bit there i'm not sure i can follow you on the on that particular fishing expedition other than they both have boats in them you're gonna say swordfish next aren't you (laughs)
0: <laughs> i did think about swordfish but having never played swordfish i thought i'd leave that to you
1: i like swordfish damn you marling i i like it anyway move on
0: <laughs> moving on now ronan there's a burning issue i think i'm going yeah. to i'm going to go to the corner i'm going to drag your soap box out and i'm going to plonk it in the middle of the room all ready for you to talk about those action points
1: <laughs> one and a half. <laughs> with some actions costing half an action point. You couldn't times everything by two, no? I couldn't have three action points. And some actions cost one action point. That would be too difficult, with it? I'm just, I can't even be outraged. I'm, st- I'm just too shocked. What? <laughs> how to make your game difficult to play and explain and just why I don't oh, whatever I? I, I, I can't uh, they've broken me they've broken me
0: maybe it was a tactic to stand out from the crowd
1: yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> just I don't anyway right one and a half action points what nonsense in terms of the game itself Sean what's, what's your thoughts on it give us your final thoughts what do you reckon I think we're kind of talking around issues because actually there's, there's not that much to the gameplay is there how do you feel about it
0: i like the look of the game i think if it does take 45 minutes to play which is the suggested time for it i think that's a little bit too much for me know it's the minimum players is three I would like to see a game like this play out in half an hour or so so not a massive difference but that's the time frame i'd like to see this there's not a lot going on i like the collaborators i like the fact that they give you little bonuses that mixes it up slightly but as i said the fishing element in Upon salty ocean really reminded me of this and obviously for pollen salty ocean had a lot more going on on the mainland but the actual fishing side of it was the the side of it that I didn't really appreciate? I didn't really get. It didn't really work for me. This one's got a little bit more going on in terms of that fishing side. But although I would play this game, it's not really singing to me. So it's for now, it's a trap.
1: Yeah, it, it looks very simple to teach and play. I feel like it's going to appeal to kind of more casual gamers, less aggressive gamers, maybe. Um, both in the looks of it, it looks very pretty and the gameplay as well. It all makes sense. It all kind of, apart from the one and a half action points, it's all very easy on the eye and very, oh, that makes sense. I can see that to step this from here. The cost is on the line in between, so I know that much that is. It's definitely not as unusual as many of the other games we're seeing coming out of Japan in the last few years and this year again. I feel like it's very much a gateway game into some real standard, gaming mechanisms a pretty one a nicely themed one one i'd be happy to chill out and play for an hour but again not a game for me and i don't think there's enough depth in it for it to be a reoccurring gateway game and really find a, a place in my collection so i am also unfortunately just just about gonna go trap with this it's a, uh, it's a ribby
0: Next up for me, it is Aquasphere from Stefan Feld. Again, another massive, massive designer. Last Essen, he did Amerigo and Bruges, and his game list is extensive to say the least. It comes from a whole bevy companies amongst them are Hall Games, Tasty Minstrel Games and Pegasus Spiel. So it plays in a hundred minutes and is for two to four players. So the game is all about players controlling a research team. You have one meeple in the headquarters and one meeple in the deep and they represent your engineer and your researcher on the table are the research station where your research scientist will operate with the help of specially programmed robots and a headquarters tile where your engineer will program those robots to help the scientist players also have a small and sparsely equipped laboratory that can be expanded later on in each of the four rounds players may do the following actions Program a robot. This is done by the engineer in the HQ and players will select a program action that they wish and the robot will be placed on the ready spot for that action on the player cards. There can only be two programmed robots ready at any time on the player cards. The second action is carry out an action with one of your programmed robots. This is done by moving your scientist to the space on the station that you wish to activate. You move the robot into the control space or the area that your scientist is in and then you carry out that action. Thirdly, you can pass, but passing gives a small bonus back. The order in which players pass is the order in which they take turns in the next round. So the first player to pass is the first player in the next round and so on. So we've talked about carrying out actions with our programmed robots. Let's see what the actions are. You can expand your lab this is going to give you the capacity to store more of each item, giving you larger reserves and allowing you to research the higher points for set collections and the scoring element. Take time markers. To move your scientist around the research station, is going to cost you time and you start off the game with four time tokens this is a way to build up your time again you can take crystals crystals are what the scientist is researching in the deep and they're basically a way to score points at the end of the game there are octopods hanging around the station now these are going to damage the station and cause you negative points at the end of the game so it's always a good idea to catch these And that's one of your actions. You are going to get an immediate score depending on the amount that you catch. You can place a submarine. Submarines give you points and time tokens. Take a research card. We haven't talked about those. Research cards are placed around the board. Face up and they're going to offer you little bonuses or boons. Just to help you with with everything else really. And you've also got the option to program that robot. Now here we go. It's a failed game. There's some scoring. There's some intermediate scoring, but at the end of the round or each round of the four that are in the game, you are going to score points for the amount of robots in the control spaces on your station, the robots in play, i.e. not the ones on your board, the crystals in your supply, and any octopods left in the area will cost you points. At the end of the game, there are more scoring options. I'm not going to run through because there's just loads of scoring going on in this game. Just take it as granted that it's a failed game. There's lots of scoring for everything. And obviously, the person with the most points at the end of the game is the victor. Ronan, Aquasphere.
1: Oh, I love a party with a happy Aquasphere.
0: Ah, you were waiting for that,
1: weren't you? it. I waited for a while I did, it's true. <laughs> Sean, we've been looking at lots of games. We've been looking at lots of uh, pastel-coloured games and lots of, as we said, 4X games and different historical games, and those are all fine and well and good. But when something like this comes along, it does catch your eye. The theme, even though it makes not much difference to the gameplay, I think, the theme is instantly appealing. The colours, the look of it, the different-looking board... It's all appealing. There is something intriguing about it all. The whole sort of Jules Verne under the sea. It's it's different. It immediately catches the eye. They have put all the trappings in place here to lure in the unwary.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Ronan. It does, from afar, it looks really bright, colourful. I like the, well... It's not really a backstory, but I like the story that's attached to it. You are exploring the depths of the ocean. You have somebody up at HQ that's going to look after and pro- support you by programming the robots. The robots are going to assist the scientists. There's octopods floating around. I like it. It looks good. They're... I do have a
1: quick story question for you. What have you done to upset the octopods?
0: I don't take your meaning. Well, what, why? why are they attacking us?
1: Yeah, what have we done to them? Why have we started <laughs> a war? Did we steal the princess octopus
0: or something? Oh, maybe we're stealing their crystals or something. Maybe they they like the crystals. Maybe they like the bling. Bling, I don't know. Bling, (laughs) bling. The look of the game run. I think it looks lovely. I like the artwork. My concern is that there's lots of colour. Everything that you use adds more colour to it. Is there just too much colour going on? And can you pick out what's where? in the game it just seems that it's, it's a splash of color everywhere and i think it'll get confusing once you know like a four-player game when you've got lots of playing pieces out on the board
1: oh i don't know i, th- I actually thought it was okay because each of those individual sectors of the atmosphere are exactly that individual and self-contained and you, you kind of can look at each of them as a whole and there's not that much information in each one so you're kind of going you know if, if i'm looking at let's say, what technology do I want to upgrade to? I'm just going to look at the top of technologies. I'm just going to see where people are in terms of that and say, okay, that suits me. I'm going to see how long it's going to take me to travel there. Am I knocking someone else's cube out of control of that part of the atmosphere? Great. That's a good move. You know, I I think you're not looking, ever looking at all six at once. You're just taking small sections and saying, what's going on there? What do I need to know? Or, because you have to pre-program your robots, you, you know there's only one, two, possibly three different moves you can take. Therefore, that's the only bit of information you're going to be looking to get. I actually found it okay to look at. I didn't have any problem with it in terms of looks or clarity. and I think it was okay.
0: Ronan, it's a foul game, but strangely, there's no point scoring in this one.
1: No, there's none.
0: No, no point none, scoring. That's the
1: good news. Yeah, it's going to be one or two points at the end, and that's it. There's certainly not. Three dozen ways of scoring points, so that's a good news.
0: It's the main thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, okay. Obviously, we're going to talk about scoring with the foul game. The foul games I've had problems with the scoring are are the ones where there's a complete disconnect between the mechanism and what you're scoring. Okay, so Trajan, which I actually quite like playing, but I did not find any link between what I was doing with my mancada thing. And then what effect that had on the particular little mini game. And then how that was going to score points for me. They were completely disjointed. Bora Bora I felt was completely disjointed. I was like what? I'm getting what? I was picking up random tiles. That have no sort of. I have no idea why I'm scoring that. What I felt with this is. The scoring was actually more intuitive. Even though there's lots of it. And it comes in different ways. I felt like okay. I expand my lab. I get points for that. That makes sense. If I am controlling areas at the station, it's just kind of showing that you know I'm using the station effectively or whatever. I'm not going to try and add too much steam to it, but it made sense. It was, I, I I can see why I'm scoring for that. I can see why I'm I'm using my robots and I've got my submarines docked. I can see how that scores. And I can see how what I'm doing is linked to how I'm scoring points, which is. When I cannot see that link. I cannot get on with these games.
0: Yeah, I don't really have a problem with the, the sort of reasons why you're scoring. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You can see where they're going. Apart from, I think we discussed before, every time you expand your laboratory, the pieces come with a letter and you get points at the end for having the most different letters or something. Yeah, it just I didn't understand that a bit. But, when well, you should really... Not an issue... I suppose it does give you variety and a chance to explore the game. But my initial conundrum is, what way do you go? What do you go for at the beginning? There's so many ways to score points in this game. Where do you head off for? Do you just do eeny, meeny, miny, mo and go one way? Or do you have a spread strategy where you pick two or three things and maybe not excel at them? I just I can't pick it from the beginning of this game. Now, obviously, the proof will be in the eating of the pudding, Ronan. It will be in the eating
1: and not in the pudding.
0: Put it, <laughs> I can make sure i got that right for you because I know you get very upset. I
1: see that, that, you're a good lad.
0: <laughs> it's one of those games I just can't tell whether that massive spread of points is going to be conducive to the game or whether it's going to go against the game.
1: I'm going to do a Sean here, okay? Mm. Come, come with me. <laughs> I'm going to liken this game to Francis Drake. Ooh, interesting. I don't, know you, I
0: don't know where you're going, but... Oh, nope. <laughs>
1: wow. I'm going to the Caribbean to try and trade. and No, no, I'm not. I'm... <laughs> okay, this is where I'm going. As discussed when we discussed for Archer Drake many times, you can play that game, and you can score some points, and you can think that you've played it well, and you can say, oh, well, you just... everything you do scores points, so it just doesn't matter what I do, because I'm just going to get some points for doing stuff. Yeah? But... There's specific things you have to do in order to score points efficiently. And someone who is good at that game will beat someone who's just doing anything. I think, from what I can tell, that is what is present here in Aquasphere. I'm thinking the first two, three, four, for thick people like us, maybe more games, of that, we're just going to be doing some things and scoring some points, and then sort of finding out how to play the game well. And then I feel like when you start seeing how they all interlink and seeing how this action right at the beginning and how what I'm programming early affects my scoring later on, I think the game is gonna come together and you're gonna find, yeah, sure, knock around, score a few points here and there, you'll have fun and you'll score I don't know, eighty points, whatever. But if you play and get to know the game and how it links together and how to read what's going on, on the board, you're going to be scoring 120 points. Uh, and I, That has that sort of feel to me. Yeah, there are points available, but there's smart points for smart combos, efficiency, and planning ahead with your programming with a plan. And lots of plans. And I'm going to say plan again. But Sean, plan your next statement.
0: <laughs> I failed to plan.
1: <laughs> I completely see
0: your point. And yeah... It will have to be a case of play the game, see where it takes us and see what's the most efficient strategy, really. I think there's a few, a little bit of tactics in the game with maybe maybe moving those robots in to take person's other space and then you get the sort of domination in the area. But I think it's all about choosing that, that point scoring arc for yourself. Random, what are your final thoughts on this game?
1: This has got all the hallmarks of another mess another rich point salad Off. i don't know what i'm doing i don't know why but i'm very excited about it i think it looks good i love the idea of the two interlinked workers i love that it's a very simple gameplay system that you're doing you're just programming and doing the action and programming and doing the action how you make the two interact is what's going to be the key to playing the game So it's not I'm doing 20 actions to score some points over there. I'm just doing one of two things, which is going to allow me to, yes, do various things in the station, but it just comes from the interaction between my two linked workers and how I make that work. I love that it's got the simple heart to this huge bloom of of different flower-scoring petals. I'm getting poetic, Sean. It must be late. I am very excited about it, and I am stupid. I've spent too much money already. I've pre-ordered it treasure
0: for me I am still worried despite what Roland said and I, I do take on board what he said but I'm still worried about it just being a points fest and not really mattering what way you go for those points maybe just all coming down to who, who got the breaks at the right time but I like the look of the game Even though I still think it is a little bit confusing with all the colours. But as Renan said, you can break them down individually. I like the feel of the game. I am a big fan of Steffenfeld anyway. I I like his games. They all make sense to me. For that reason and that reason alone, it would be a treasure. But I think this one's looking a little bit more promising than maybe some of his more recent releases. So a definite treasure from me. That was Aquasphere. So, our next
1: game in our preview is Evolution. Evolution is designed by Dimitri... It's a difficult say. Sergei Machin and Dominic Krapuchet. It's being published now by Northstar Games. So, let's see what those designers have done before. Dimitri is known for doing Evolution and expansions and they web-published this game previously. And we'll get into that in a minute. Sergei designed Evolution with Dimitri. He's also done potion making practice, confetti, the jam. Uh, And the interesting thing and the sort of hybrid that's going on here is Dominic Krapuschet is the man behind Northstar Games. And you'll find his name on the boxes of Wits and Wages and Say Anything and Clubs and some big family games that have been part of the hobby over the last 10 years. So what is Evolution? Well, it is for two to six players. It plays in roughly 60 minutes but you know with that sort of spread of player count that could go either way and it is a card game in which players are going to be controlling one or more species on a player board in front of them and their species can be represented in terms of size on a rating of one to six and population on a rating of one to six and up to three traits for each of their species now the traits, the interesting thing because these come from cards, there is a stack of cards all different traits on and it's all in the card players to how this game is going to work, you're going to be attempting to grow the size and population of each of your species you're going to make sure that you can keep feeding them as they keep growing in population and you're going to hope that they don't get too badly attacked and eaten by the other players who have become carnivores in the game so there's some player interaction. When you try and grow in size that will protect you from predation and your populations you grow it means you're going to eat more food and that means you're going to score more points at the end because then all the food you eat during the game with all your species is going to score you points. So that's the basic thing you're going to do is you're going to grow your size grow your population and add traits to your varying species. So there is a big deck of cards. When that deck runs out, you know you're at the end of the game. Each round, each player is going to get dealt cards, depending upon how many species they have in play. And on each card, it's going to show traits, and it's going to show a food value after you get dealt cards the next thing you do is every player discards one card face down and that's the only thing that matters on that card is that food value i discussed because that is going to dictate if you add all the values together how much food is available for the non-carnivores later on in the round Then each player can play cards from their hands, comboing the traits on the species they have in play. And the traits can be offensive, so you can become a carnivore, which means when you go to eat, you don't eat the plant food that everybody's put in the middle, using their cards just previous to this stage, but you're actually going to be eating the other player's species and reducing their population. So you can get traits that make you carnivore and also improve how good you are at being a carnivore. Because there are defensive traits that the other species can play on themselves they can get a hard shell or they can burrow or they can get camouflage and generally there's some offensive cards which will counteract the defensive cards which are available in play and there's others which have gather game impacts that might give you a growth in population or access to more food or just generally make your species somehow more effective instead of playing your cards as traits you can discard one for various effects one would be to increase your population, which will mean you're going to eat more food later on in the round, which will score you more points. You can discard a card to increase in body size. Now, that's going to help you not be eaten by carnivores. Or you can discard to create a new species with a size one, a population one, and start again on this new species and, and start eating again with them and growing them up. And just diversifying your portfolio. After everyone has played all their cards, you then flip the food cards that have been discarded earlier into the middle. You check their food values and fill that food pool with food tokens. Then everyone takes turns eating. If they're not a carnivore, their species are going to take food from the middle. If they are a carnivore, they must attack other species to eat. They cannot Eat the food in the middle. They must go for the meat, which is each other. Carnivores must be bigger in size than their prey, and the food value of each species they eat is equal to the body size of the prey. So, growing your body size protects you from being predated on by smaller carnivores but it makes you more juicy and more likely to get attacked by the bigger carnivores because look you know you're a bigger meal if you do get eaten you lose one population and if your population ever goes to zero then that particular species is extinct although you are going to get to draw more cards so although you lose that species it has hopefully scored you some points for eating already and you're going to get more options for the next round going onwards All food tokens you eat... So that's the plant food from the middle... Or the meat food that you get from eating each other... Goes into a bag and stays kind of secret. People know what's going in there. You can keep count, I guess, if you want to. At the end of the game... You're going to check the total population... Of all of your species you 're going to count all your traits of your surviving species and you 're going to add that value to the value all the food tokens which you 've eaten throughout the whole game and that will be your score and the highest score is going to win so before I hand over to Sean i didn 't mention kind of briefly about the evolution of this game because originally this is a Russian game from Dmitry and Sergei and they home brewed it and they published it on the web and it's been successful enough that they've made three expansions and this game has been at Essen before in this sort of a home self published version. Now Northstar Games are a very successful publisher of party games. And this is their first, what you might call, hobby game they've come into. So Northstar have taken the rights for Evolution. They've had them for a while. It seems like they've been playtesting a lot. And maybe they've polished off what they saw as a little bit of a rough gem that they bought. And now they've shown lots of faith in this title. They're putting a lot of back in mind. It's been on Kickstarter. It's been at Gen Con. And now it's coming over to this side of the Atlantic. Sean, Evolution
0: well, yeah, the evolution of evolution, Ronan.
1: I oh, I'm a man as layers upon layers. Sure. You are.
0: You're like an onion. <laughs> I think it is incredibly thematic. I love the fact that it does exactly <laughs> what it says on the tin. You're evolving these creatures. You're deciding what where they're going to evolve in. You're adding defenses and attacks and basically trying not to get them extinct. But some of them are going to become extinct. That aspect of the game I really like, Rona. Really, really does play out thematically.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that it, exactly what it says, evolution. You're going to play these cards. Each of different species are going to be slightly different. You're going to be, hopefully, choosing your traits to react to the, the traits that other players have chosen. So, uh, And as well as, and like you say, that carnivore predating on each other interesting all going around a bit of a survival of the fittest yeah i think you're right it does feel pretty cool it looks great they put some lovely artwork on it i feel like an endangered beetle playing this game sean
0: yeah i like the actual artwork of the creatures ronan i'm not mad about the card design and the white backgrounds on a lot of the cards but i'd like to see these creatures in their habitat etc but in general i really like the look of the game now, one thing kind of struck me when I was looking at how this plays out and sort of thinking about the player count was I don't think this game is going to work particularly well at two players, but also I'm worried about it with like five or six players. I think maybe the sweet spot, a spot for this one is going to be three or four players, maybe five in there as well, but six and two, two is going to be too one dimensional it's going to be sort of in your face zero sum as we say with a lot of two player games and six I think it could be just a little bit messy too much going on too much attacking of this and that I, I don't know how that's going to work Ronan
1: I think there's an awful lot of games where they, especially when they go for a broad spread, where it doesn't work either way. A lot of this game is simultaneous, I would have to say, um, in terms of the six player. I think that it will probably negate a lot of the defensive play and the sort of trying to turtle up, ha ha, with that hard shell card, turtle up, um, that you could do with fewer players. Because if I get camouflage, someone's gonna get Eagle Eye out there. And yeah, you know, whatever I try to do, someone's gonna have the card to counteract it. So I think there'll be a lot of predating, a lot harder to just sort of play your own little game and try and develop. But then it really is quite like gameplay, Sean. I think that it's meant to be fun throw some things down attack each other score some points and grab some food while you can and maybe that species will die out while you're busy concentrating on a different species i'm not i think lower player count you'll lose a lot of the fun of that interaction higher player count i can see it working
0: Okay, I'll take on board what you're saying. I think this is going to be quite a nasty game, Ronan. I think there's going to be... I can just envisage that time if we ever do play this game together where I spend all my time building up my nice little plant eater, get him to a nice little level where he's taking on board a lot of food for me. I get rather attached to him and you stomp along with your, your big carnivorous beast and eat my poor little fella.
1: Oh now why would I be the aggressive one? <laughs> I can see Don't judge me. I can I can envision
0: myself getting quite upset at losing my poor little chap.
1: Um, and you, you just made this a treasure. <laughs> it's that comment alone. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one we have to go in. I think you have to make it absolutely clear to everyone when you start playing look, you are gonna get attacked, you are gonna get chomped. Get used to it. You're going to be in everyone's digestive trap before long. Ho hum, that's the way the game plays. If you're going to get upset, just don't even play it. it it's, that's basically the, sort of a lot of the appeal of the game is because you can only put a limited number of traits in each species. It's not a big branching, huge tree of, oh, now I've developed them and they've got spaceships and now there's talking lizards and It's not like that. It, it's just throwing some cars down, taking the opportunity to attack each other and having a bit of fun, you know? It's not that heavy a game.
0: I'm going to sum up, Ryan, as a child, I was deeply, deeply invested. (laughs) You were a
1: dinosaur, I remember.
0: Yes, I loved my dinosaurs. I loved the evolution of species. Natural History Museum is one of my favourite places on Earth. So I was obviously going to be predisposed towards this game. It hasn't disappointed me. It's playing out very thematically. I like the design of it. I like the cutthroat aspect of it. And for me, it's a definite treasure.
1: Yeah, I thought you might say that. I think it's a clever family game. I think if you've got some older kids that are into this sort of thing, throwing some cars down, and they can live with the abuse of each other, then that's fine, go for it. For my personal taste, it's a bit too light. It's not as strategic as I really hoped. There's not enough chance to build up great little combos or or get something going that's really clever. It's all very tactical. It looks beautifully produced. I'm sure absolutely sure it's going to be a hit for lots and lots of people but i won't be buying it so i'm going to go trap and that is evolution from north star games
0: moving on from evolution to midgard this is the lord of the ice garden designed by christoph Volicki and christoph did enclave which was one of g3's games at essen last year it's from red imp publishing Place plays two to four players in a time frame of about 90 minutes. So, the story behind this. The players are going to represent scientists who, by hook or by crook, have managed to find their way into Midgard and, more specifically, the Coast of Sales. And they have found that, now that they're here, they've got some god-like powers. And now they are going to vie for control of the Coast of Sales. This game is an area control game with worker placement, action point allowance system, and variable player powers. So how are we going to play it? So the game takes place on a large map, which is the coast of sales, and the map is divided into regions. Players will attempt to control these regions by placing units in their color and having the majority at the end of each round. As well as basic units, players can call on special units that have bigger and better powers, a turn plays out using the following phases. First, you have the initiative phase, and this is where players are gonna decide how many action tokens they will have for the current turn, and you're gonna determine player order as well. Planning phase, players one by one in the order determined are gonna place their action tokens on the selected action fields. We'll talk about the actions in a minute, because now we're on to the action phase players are going to perform the actions in the action fields in the order determined by the placement of tokens the order is very specific if you place first uh, somebody plays second and third the person who places third is going to go first and the person who places first is going to go last it's very tactical in where you place these actions so what actions can you do well you can go to the viper's nest and you can receive one token of any resource you can go to the influence section and this is where you sacrifice some tokens to place influence tokens on the regions so that's basically increasing your power in the region you can move you can take two of your factions or your influence cubes and move them to an adjacent neighboring region you can go off to the voracious mountain this Time a player may sacrifice one of their population to move any number of their influence tokens or special units from one region to any other region on the map. The Raven Shadow, the player may erase their reputation. We'll talk about reputation in a minute, or use a magic token to get rid of a disadvantageous token from contact with a gentleman called Vuko. We'll talk about Vuko again in a minute. Magic, you're going to be able to use your magic to do locations that translocate things summon up special your special creatures or activate those special creatures now i talked about a gentleman called vuko his full name is vuko Drakainen. and vuko has been sent to midgard to basically send you home because you're not supposed to be there and he is either going to send you back home hook or by crook but if he has to he's going to destroy you so the final action space is when vuko comes in and he's going to go to the region the most immoral player that has the most influence so the person who is the lowest on the moral track and has the most influence he's going to go there and just beat them up a little bit take one of the units away and stop them using another unit there is, as I said, a reputation track. This is where your morals come into play, and as I said, the the higher you are on the reputation track, the least likely you are going to be bothered by Vuko. Lastly, we move into a domination phase. The players are going to collect victory points and resources from the regions that they occupy, starting with a starting score point. So if the... Region offered five, three, and two points. The, f- the most dominant player would get the five, and the least dominant would get the two points. Also offers you a resource that the first player can choose which resource they want, and so on. I should also talk about victory conditions before I move on to the game's end. And each of the separate players has their own unique victory conditions. It's whether to place certain tiles on the board or dominate a certain amount of areas. But they've all got their own specific victory conditions. And this is known to everyone so that people can plan for it. So the game's end. If one of the players does meet those victory conditions, the the game ends and that player is the winner. You have what is called the dead snow track. The track moves up every time you do a negative action, use your magic, things like that. It basically means it's, it's a timer for the game, or you can set your own round limit for the game. But the the other two are the other are usual victory conditions. It's quite a hard game to explain. <laughs> especially having not played it, but that's the best I can do. Ronan, the Lord of the Ice Garden.
1: Yes, isn't it just? I think we should break this down into constituent parts, (laughs) because attempting to tackle the whole might be a bit much for us and anyone listening, because I think the whole rule thing might have been a bit much for anyone. So I'm going to start from the very beginning, pre-publishing. Sean, this is a game full of plastic and Vikings and magic and scientists and stuff. How did you not kick start this game?
0: <laughs> I didn't see it. I probably would have sniffed around it, but I also think that that rule book would probably have put me off. It is an undertaking to decipher. It reminded me a little. this This whole game with everything that's going on, maybe not the amount of bits and pieces that are in the game because it is not as much but heroes of might and magic from last lesson just had so much going on it put me off in the end it's the type of game i love everything about it I, i would normally go for but it was just so much going on in that heroes of Might and magic that i didn't bother buying it and i still have stayed away from it the game has so much going on ronan
1: yeah it does do you know what else has got so much going on sean go on that theme That theme is equally awesome and awful at the same time. It is like I've eaten a bucket full of cheeses and gone to bed and had the most wicked dream ever. It's got scientists visiting a planet and they get magical powers, start dominating people, and another scientist dude (laughs) turns up and he's trying to kill them. It's there's Vikings and there's like what? It's nuts, absolutely nuts.
0: The theme, Sean. Yeah. Someone was uh, sipping back on Grandma's special juice when, when they decided on that theme, I think. Definitely way out there. Funnily enough, only the second weirdest theme we've had so far in our recent previews. <laughs> you leave the ravens alone. That means it.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that theme is is it's right out there. It is right out there in terms of creativity and madness in equal doses.
1: Hmm. should we go to the rule book? <laughs> I think one of the first little oddities before we get to actual the meat of the rule book is, uh, is that whoever's written this has got a fantastic vocabulary in English. Better than mine and better than all, both of us put together. Fantastic. They just know so many different words, they just don't quite know how they're all used. It's someone with some kind of language dysfunction, or not a native speaker, has actually written this in an amazing vocabulary. For example, you will meet an old man, and he will partake his knowledge to you.
0: Well, indeed, I often have that happen to me. <laughs> it's the construction of the rule book again. It doesn't start at the beginning and move and move <laughs> you through. It, it it kind of starts in the middle, then you go to the end, and then then you go back to the beginning. And it's it's just all over the place and. When your narrative is that creative, you've got to, with your rule book, you've got to condense that and make it scientific. Have your narrative at the top. That's where your creative flowers bloom. But then, let's get scientific. You're talking about scientists. Let's get scientific. Let's have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Let's teach people how to play this game rather than teach people what a wonderful game it is. Do
1: you know, do you know what else you need to not do?
0: What do you need to not do? You rather? need
1: to not write at me in red all the time because I'm quite a nervous person. <laughs> and I get a little bit worried about why you keep writing at me in red after every rule. Here's a rule. And here's some red exceptions and don't do this and do do that and not on the third turn and only on the ninth turn. And if your name begins with N, then you can't do it. Well, stop shouting at me, rule book.
0: It's okay. You... <laughs>
1: I need a hug.
0: You're in a safe place now.
1: I'm not. The rulebook might come for me. It can, like, and every rule has an exception. Every rule has a bloody exception. It's incredible. Like, okay, oh my God. Could you not have just made a better rule rather than every rule have an exception?
0: Right. Ronan, you know the last episode was our rulebook episode.
1: But this one. <laughs> come on. This is, oh, goodness me. I will take back. Oh, I can't remember the worst rulebook from last time, but it couldn't have been worse than this. this- This was just endless, endless rules and exceptions with no context. I had no idea what these rules meant. Uh, there was no reason to them. There was no guide to tell me where they were coming from. It is just such a mess. It's just such a lot what I don't understand any of these things.
0: It's hard going. It's, it's really hard going. I had to watch two videos to get an idea of how this game plays out. Now, having said that, right, let's move on to a positive point. Or something I believe, at least, is a positive point. The game, the components, look absolutely fantastic. Those miniature plastic pieces are amongst the very best that I've seen anywhere. That board is really nice, beautiful, maybe a little bit difficult to pick out the different areas on the board, but I really, really like the look of this game. It looks lovely to me, to my eye.
1: You know that big, huge two-piece plastic castle you get with it?
0: Mm. What's it for? Pass. It took me ages to work out what snow You know the those big red
1: was. towers that you get with it. You know the lovely, beautiful, sculptured red towers that are for one of the players <laughs> that you put on the board. What are they for?
0: I think they might be your your special beasts.
1: Special something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. You know the the big green kind of groovy tentacly weeping willow looking dude. What does he do? <laughs> I don't know what they they are. You're right. They look pretty cool, and they're in clear, like player colours. So when you look on the board, you say, "I can see that's where red's got a tower. I can see that's where blue has dragons. I can see that's where green's got some big jelly thingy dude, wherever he is. Uh, You you know, it's very clear. It must, must help with the gameplay if you know what the rules are." fantastic those plastic components are fantastic i'll leave it
0: there now if you do manage to decipher how to play this game at some stage in maybe 2019 or something when you finally get round to playing it i do actually think that there are some good elements to the gameplay there's a little bit of depth there i like the different choices that you have I like this VUKO character that is coming out chasing you. I think it changes up a normal area control game. Kind of a little bit similar to the T inspector or the inspector from, from Yunnan where he came out and he just added something a little bit different to change the game up and make people think about what they're doing. So if you're being particularly nasty or being or using a lot of magic and things that are going to give you a negative self-worth or whatever the track was i can't remember There's so much to remember <laughs> in this game <laughs> then he's obviously going to come at you and he's going to be coming looking for you specifically so i like that i like the the variety of choice uh,
1: we well, move on i wish to object
0: okay okay off you go object away
1: i wish to object to you turning that intergalactic, scientist, magic, assassin, badass into a tea inspector.
0: (laughs) Yeah, maybe.
1: This game is nothing but theme. You just (laughs) leave them their theme.
0: Okay, point taken. I have been scolded. I also Uh... like that there is variety. There's lots of actions to take. I like that you have to be quite mindful of when you take your action so if you want to go first in a particular action do you place your cube now because you really want to go on there but do you hold back in the hope that somebody else goes to, so that you go before them I like that it's it's all good I think there is a game somewhere hidden beneath that miss of a Rule book
1: you know I'm thinking about recreating the experience of playing this game by going and taking some big girl tablets and then just playing El Grande. Huh. I think it's pretty much the same as trying to play this game. It's an it's area good. control game that got access to the medicine cabinet and just went with it. I have no idea how this is going to play. Until someone teaches me, I will never know. have any idea how this is going to play. Because it's just insane and the rulebook is awful. And It made lots of money on Kickstarter and God bless them. I hope someone makes a better rulebook for it. Trap. There's a shock.
0: I was. I'm actually not as damning of it as you, I think, yeah, I for all the reasons that you said, the rule book is awful. you can 't really decipher how it plays out from what I can decipher and from the playthrough that Red Imp have released themselves they've played they 've released a video of somebody playing through probably the designer uh playing through one round of the game, I was able to decipher enough to, re- to think make me think that actually i'm quite interested in the game and how it does play out because. The collector in me and the bling collector in me really wants those miniatures. But that rulebook is hideous. And as you said, until someone shows me how that game plays, I can't really judge it other than a trap. That is The Lord of the Ice Garden.
1: So, cracking onwards and upwards, the next game we're going to discuss is King's Pouch. Designed by Kiwon King, this is his first published design. And it's published by Dive Dice, who have published Coconuts Duo before, and also SNL bringing out what This is a 2-4 to player game, quite an ambitious, uh, suggested playing time of 60 minutes. And the theme is all around, well, the king is dead, so long live he who can score the most victory points. They will become the new king. Players are tempted to control areas on the board. And they're going to do this by adding to a tableau of individual buildings. You start with four buildings, and everyone starts with the same buildings. And you'll be able to get more and add to the tableau. And then you're going to be activating that tableau with citizens... And you're also going to be tempted to control characters which you can purchase. So the buildings that you build will also give you armies. Um, which you're going to be able to attack areas on a very abstracted map. You are represented on there by colored discs, and conquering areas and kicking people out of areas is going to score you some bonus points. In terms of how your buildings activate, they require different types of citizens. Some of them just need normal standard citizens, and others are looking for specialized citizens. So you can activate some buildings to get yourself citizens of various colors these are going to be come in colored cubes which we'll get to in a second you're going to be able to get coins from your buildings to buy more buildings or claim those characters now you start with four workers and the base workers you start with are all prism shaped that's going to be important because the whole key to the game and sort of the hook of it is that your workers are going to be going into a bag and you're going to draw them out so how's that going to work when you put your citizens into buildings to get these specialist workers and earn them, they come to you in cubes. And at the beginning of the round, you're going to be drawing five citizens from your bag to put into play and to use. Now, you're going to know that some of them are specialised in cubes by feel. But some of them, you're going to know, are the prism shape, which at this stage you might think are just going to be base workers. However, every time you need to draw workers from your bag and there's none in there, you have to throw black prisms in there which are corrupt officials which are not too much use for you unless you build the buildings to use them so when you're putting your hand into your bag you can be deciding to draw out cubes they can maybe of certain colors getting too many of one color might not be as useful to you again depending on how you've built your tableau Or do i go for prisms which could be my citizens which are very handy because they can activate my most basic buildings and sort of keep my engine running but i might get unlucky and just draw out these corrupt ones which i can't use very well i can't use very efficiently now, the game plays over nine rounds, and at the end of every three rounds, you're going to score for any characters you've managed to purchase and control. Caps are going to give you extra powers during the game as standard. And also for your presence on the map, it's going to score. So, a combat is completely deterministic. You just use uh, the armies you've built and they go around and they jump on top and if they can reach somewhere they take it over and they will kick out someone who's in there already and score you points. At the end of the game you're going to score for all the buildings you've built in your tableau and you're going to lose points for your corrupt officials. So it's a cycle off using your characters to earn more citizens and then they throw them all in the bag and then you draw out what you think you need and then you try and use whatever you've drawn out as efficiently as you can on your buildings and so on and so forth and cycling around in order to Like I say, build up your tableau and conquer some areas on a pretty abstracted map. Sean, King's Pouch, a Euro, with a little hook of that drawing out of a bag. What do you think?
0: Firstly, if I didn't know anything about this game, and I was walking through the halls of Essen, this game would not stand out of any crowd. There's not a lot to it. It's quite bland looking. It's only when you get closer you realise that everything is perfectly functional. Everything is easy to see, easy to decipher. That map works just fine for what it needs to do and the iconography is all is spot on. So yeah, it doesn't it's not gonna stand out of the crowd. If you don't know about this game you might miss it, but once you do look at it, it's actually quite quite well done, Ronan.
1: Wow, you'll be very forgiving on this game I think. <laughs> uh it's not it's not striking at all, visually. That map is very, very bland. That's not going to draw in any punters whatsoever, it really isn't. The character cards are monotone, they don't pop. The buildings and the tableau, they all look kind of dated, and they don't look very evocative of any sort of a theme. I know there's not much of a theme, the old king is dead thing, but they don't evoke even that much. Um, but the buildings, I will say, do work in thematic ways, so I might be with you there, in that when you see them, like you say, the iconography is good, and the name of the building pretty much linked, you can you can work out, oh, okay, you know, this activates when I put a priest in there because of such and such, or this requires me to put soldiers in because of such and such, or I can put my corrupt officials in a gambling den, and then they become of, of some use to me, so even the way you use individual citizens is quite thematic. And it's pretty cheap. It's going for €25 Euros at Essen. So, uh, there's the lot fantastic design that's not really popping out. I can excuse it for the price, but I, I think it might get drowned out in the noise of Essen.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't actually think that's a great price for it either. I mean, Packet Row, the German version, was going for not much more than that. And there was a lot more to that in terms of design and the look of the game and the components. So I don't think you're getting a lot for 25 euros. Yeah, but you're
1: comparing a huge publisher to a small publisher. Yeah, true, true.
0: But I don't think you're getting a lot for 25 euros. You're getting a bag of cubes and some discs and, as you said.
1: And yeah, but you say that because we're a bit spoiled by Essen. Mm. But if you saw this game for 17, 18 quid in Orcs Nest or Leisure Games, you'd you'd be pretty happy with that.
0: Yeah, true, true. Right, so what does it do differently? The main thing, and as you said, the main sort of capturing point for this game is this delving into your pouch and pulling out your cubes and whether to go for the cylinders or the cubes. I think as you go on, it becomes more and more obvious that you're pretty much going to be going for cubes because that's what you're going to have most of in in there and you're going to build your tableau in front of you to cater for those cubes. So I don't know how much that's gonna really work i don't think that it's innovative but to the point of do i care or does it really matter like i don't know it's not really singing to me as a massive selling point for the game
1: well i see in terms of the game if i can just like kind of go back just quickly because the economy and combat is really really simple okay like when you get money all buildings cost you one gold. All characters cost you two gold. That's what the, So the economy is in no way any draw. The combat is purely based upon the distance from where you are based on the map. So there's no draw in that. It's either I have got enough pieces or I haven't got enough pieces to conquer an area. So the decisions, the only decisions you have are comboing your buildings... And how your buildings interact with each other. And then exactly as you're saying. The citizens and what you choose to fill your bag with. So you're looking for synergies between those two things. Now which means it's quite a thinky combo driven game. It's it's really like I'm particularly getting this building. To work with these citizens in order to create a combination of actions. And chain them together to do me something. With the zero luck in the the combat. and, And the economy being very simple. It's not so much as whether that pouch building is effective, because you have to draw everything out. Yeah, you know, it's not going to be filled until it's empty. So if you draw loads of cubes, you know you're going to have to start taking those prisms out at some point. But are they suitable? Isn't this sort of like a very thinky, not very thinky, but very worky outy euro in which you're trying to get these chains together efficiently and that. It's got this funny luck of the draw, can be absolutely screwed thing by the bag. Now, does that bring excitement into what could be a very dry game, or does it bring frustration?
0: Ronan, I'm going to fall on the side of frustration. I just, I, I don't think it's as thinky as maybe you you seem to think it is. I think, there I, think was...
1: I think I think you might have been the wrong word, Sean. It's it's you know, the only interest is in what combos you can build. And then you're prevented by using those combos because you're not drawing the right stuff out the bag. Yeah, yeah,
0: oh, yeah. Well, I get, I get. I just think that the combinations are quite simplistic. And if you've played some games that where there are like this massive sort of you build up to the combinations and everything starts reaping rewards at the end, I think this is definitely nothing new. And I think it's probably on the simpler side of that spectrum. My issue is that the cube thing and the drawing of the cubes would have to make that sort of pop and make it me think, wow, that's a really cool mechanism and it's really brought the rest of the game to life because everything else, I've seen it before and it's been done better. The fact that that hasn't worked for me, that that worries me. So with that in mind, I can only really say it's a trap. It, it, was, it was a nice try, but the game doesn't look great and nothing really stands out as being massively innovative for me. So it's a trap.
1: Yeah, I I have to agree with you in almost everything you said. I, I think that with a more exciting combat system and with a slightly better economy system, there might be more here, but it's all been done before. I'm echoing you now. That pouch thing has a feeling of frustration. I think I've been put off pouch ideas with the likes of Quarriers and Dice Masters because I didn't find them to be very interesting at all. So, I've got a little tiny inkling that I may be wrong and the pouch might be an interesting thing, but I'm going to go with you and just go, no, I think it's too bland. Trap. That's King's Pouch.
0: Right, last up for me in this Essen preview show is a game from DLP Games, it is Sheffeln. It is designed by Rainer Stockhausen, and Rainer did Orleans from this Essen. It plays two to seven players in a rather short playing time of 20 minutes. What is it? It's a game where you are basically backing businesses to make as much money as you can from those businesses. Not much more to the theme than that. You start off with a circle of eight business tiles with four random money tokens added to them. All turned face down, but the top one then turned face up to show you how much that business is worth. And there's also going to be one colored car token on that business card. Each player will be dealt four movement cards. These are going to allow you to move around those cards and then chooses one of eight character cards. The colours on the backing of these car character cards match the colours on the car tokens. So, on your turn, you can do one of two things. The first action is move. This is where you spend one of your movement cards of a certain colour to move the car token of that colour to the first empty business card or one with just one car. If it has one car already there, you're going to place the next car on top of that car If you encounter a card with two cards already stacked, then that means you have to go past that one to the next empty or one place. The second action is the exchange action. This is where you're going to exchange your character by discarding a movement card and then choosing from the remaining characters on the tableau. After that, takes place what is called the Shefflin phase but as i said before they have the background color that matches the cars so they are going to find the car that matches their character's color and they are going to take the top money token if that car is showing so i.e if it is on its own on the card or if it is on top of another car if their car has been covered over by another player or by themselves. or if if they're that bad at planning, they do not take the token on that business. That is it for the phases. The game ends when all the money tokens are gone from one business. This is a really quick, simple game, Ronan.
1: Yes, it is, Sean. I agree with you. You've but. pretty much got over every rule there. So you see, it's got it's got to be fun. It's got to be Quick, it's got to be interactive. I think the base game seems a little bit pedestrian. It seems like your lim- options are a little bit limited. I think the idea that you can jump on top of people would be quite funny and block them. I think this is much more aimed at families rather than gamers. I think that if you kind of had some more advanced movement cards, I know that there's kind of mini expansions in there. I Mini expansions is a big word for it. There's a couple of variants in there. And one of them lets you move backwards and things like that. I think that would make it a bit more interesting. But I still think the base game would be okay for a few plays.
0: I think it actually sounds quite a lot of fun for the money you're paying for it and for what it's offering i think it's offering a really quick filler game with a bit of laughter a bit of fun a bit of take that with a couple of tactics in there isn't it? it's not you're never going to have a strategy for this game but definitely there's a couple of tactics and choosing that player color at the right time and having that movement card in hand so i think it's going to be a light funny take that game that like you can play maybe on a on a train or going on a trip somewhere it's that kind of thing run right?
1: well they've got a speed variant in there and that's the one that i think i would find much more appealing and much funnier it's where you just deal out they suggest seven movement cards but you can deal as many as you think suits you and then you're supposed to flip them one by one and when the last one gets flipped, everyone makes a grab for whichever character they think is going to end up best. And then you then resolve the movement cards afterwards and whatever character you grab before there is movement that's the one you stuck with and that's the one that gets the money. And also the money dealt out randomly as well so there's no patterns in the money. I think that sounds fantastic. Or maybe if everyone close your eyes and you deal out all the cards or everyone gets one card each and you flip them all and then you make a grab for it. I think that would be really, really funny and a, and a real sort of there's entertainment there from this system, this kind of open system where just from yeah you know, chatting about there, there's different things you can do with it to make it work.
0: That was exactly the point I was going to make. This, the base system offers you scope to play with it a little bit. They've already played with it themselves a little bit, added a few interesting and and in that one it tickled your fancy. I think that yeah, I think it's I think it could be a lot of fun. This game. There's not really a lot more to say about it, Ronan. So. I think we could probably sum up already on this one because we've said all there is.
1: Yeah, it seems like a good, fun, funny little game. Um, it's possibly again, We were, I mean we we're talking about SN prices just a minute ago. It's twenty nine euro at SN, and for the weight of game it is, and for the speed of gameplay, I think that might be a little bit much. But it does look nice. It's got nice components, whatever you. But not that many off them if i see it discounted or it's in a train or something i'd probably go for it because i think we could have a good laugh with this with a bunch of players relaxing or in between games beginning of the night end of the night you know the usual sort of where we play the likes of ring or ding and looping louis and all those sort of silly games this could be one of those i think so in terms of treasure or trap i am going to go a short term
0: well, first of all, I was completely wrong. I thought it was €19. Euro. Uh, I've just double-checked, and you are completely correct. It's €29. Euro. That is way too much for this game. Having said that, I completely concur with what you have said. Great little filler game. Lots of fun. I can imagine the type of people already who would just think this game is hilarious. And, yeah, it's a treasure, as long as they bring that price down at some stage. That is chiffon.
1: So the last game we're going to cover in this episode is Royals. This is designed by Peter Hawes. Now we've crowbarred in Francis Drake once this episode but once is never enough so he's the designer of Francis Drake, War of the Roses and Triassic Terror. It is being published by Abacus Spiel huge German publishing house Ra, Samurai, Taj Mahal Torres, many many others. It's for 2-5 to players and it plays over 60 minutes. This is a card drafting game where you are drafting to gain a sort of an area control on a map of 17th century western europe and the anomaly theme each player is representing the noble house but it's pretty much an, actually an abstract game now i was interested because this is a new design from peter hawes given last year's success with Francis Drake and classic terror as it turns out this is actually a rethink a redesign a reskin of heads of state which is one of his older games from 2008. Both games share very similar mechanisms. However, Royals has removed some of the fiddliness and and maybe little kinks in the mechanical systems ahead of state and has made it a little bit quicker and smoother. Now, we're going to talk about how Royals plays. You draft cards on your turn. You either draw three country cards from a row of six or from the pile. And there are four different countries in this pile of country cards. And they are Great Britain, France, Spain and Germany. And those countries are represented all aboard by a map. And there are different cities and areas within those countries also represented. Another thing you do is you could draw an entry card and a country card. Now entry cards will show you that they're valid for one of two different countries and they are not a particular action as per heads of state, and you can use them to help kick people out of a country from a place they've gone in already. And we'll get to how that works. After you've draft cards, you may play cards take over positions in a country and the specific locations, you know, that are there, and specific noble titles which are represented in the locations within the country. Now you look to the place you want to go and you look to which title you want to take, because the more influential titles are going to cost you more cards, and there's specific titles required in each of the different locations in the country. You decide which title you want to take and where, you then pay the cost in cards off that country's type, and you then mark the location and say, "Okay, I am in here, I've taken this title, let's say it's the Duke of Bristol, just for argument's sake. Then you mark the location, like I say, with your marker, and then you would put a marker on the Duke title card, which is up to the side of the board. There is one card for all of the different titles available in the game, I believe there's around eight, and you'll put your marker over there because it's going to be a little bit of majority scoring. Now, you might think that once you claim a title, that's that, but those entry cards actually let you kick people out of a title. So... If I've got an entry card that covers, let's say, France and Spain, and someone is in a position and a title that I want out of France and Spain, I can just play this entry card. I still have to play the same number of country cards I would if I was going in. And then I move in and I take that position, but I push their cube to one side. So the cube that was in the Duke of Bristol, I would push to one side if I was taking it, and I would become the Duke of Bristol. But their cube still stays in Bristol as a location, Because you can score points for getting all the locations in one country. But you do lose it from the title card on the side. So you're no longer a duke. So your cube will come off that title card. There are bonuses for being the first to be represented in a city in a country. There's bonuses for being the first to be present in all locations in a country as I said. There's a bonus for being the first person to hold at least one of every title. And when the country deck runs out. There is a scoring in each country, and we check the influence of each player, and this bonus is going to be scored. Now, the higher ranking titles are going to give you more influence in this competition, so getting those dukes and those higher value ones, I'll be tempted to score that sort of a bonus of being the most influential rather than being spread out in lots of low value noble positions. You play three times through the whole deck, and at the end, each of those title cards is checked, and the person with the most cubes in it is going to get a bonus, and again, higher value noble titles are going to reward higher value points for having the most of them on the board. So you can see your scoring for locations, different titles, having positions in different countries, and how big your general influence is. Sean, before I start, would you like to make any comments on Royals?
0: Well, Ronan, the whole time you were talking about that, and I know you mentioned that it is a kind of a re-implementation or a reskin of Heads of State, It was just reminding me of the one game I ever played of Heads of State. It was right at the beginning of my gaming journey, before I really understood anything about games, and I remember quite enjoying it. Now, Heads of State, to me, feels dated. It doesn't do anything that other games don't do a whole lot better. The look of the game... Is quite bland and boring and very much from that sort of 2004 to 2008 period when everything in Europe came out with this bland, beige, historical look to it. Surely this was a, t- a chance, if you're going to re-implement something or reskin it, there's a chance to A, update the theme and the graphics of the game, and B, really do something a little bit different for for the people who have heads of state because you're not really as far as I can see there's nothing really changed.
1: No I mean they have streamlined it. So heads of state will be nearer 90 minutes to hours. This is a 60 minutes play time. The intrigue cards, they used to be specific for certain things, and there used to be different types of intrigue, and there was even like a chance sometimes you do an assassination and you may not be successful in that assassination. It can be quite frustrating. So they have, I think, smoothed out some of the kinks. Um, In terms of the artwork and design, let's get something straight. Heads of State was awful. (laughs) Absolutely awful. It is one of the worst-looking games that has ever been produced. They made the ridiculous decision to have people they know, including the designer, his son, or whatever, which is lovely, you know, I'm sure. He's a lovely fellow, and his son's a great guy. But their photos photoshopped into these oldie stodgy hairstyles and clothing, and they just looked terrific. Oh, it was disgusting. The colour scheme was disgusting. The cards were horrible. Uh, cruddy... Photoshop was on some of the cards. Oh, it was just... I really... It uh, put me off so much. This is such... It's, this looks way, way better for starters. They've improved the gameplay. They've streamlined stuff. If you were going to do something with Heads of State, like you say, unless you're going to completely redesign it and work it off it as a basis, if you're going to retain Heads of State, at least they've done this right. At least they've made it look prettier. Because... That was offensively ugly that, guy.
0: <laughs> so he, you thought it was quite it was quite nice that what oh, you saying. yeah
1: yeah i've got I've got the artwork up on the walls at home. That's the punishment room for the kids. <laughs> go in and be scared by the evil duke, no daddy,
0: and what does this game do right so you've got this sort of almost area control thing going on, you've got this the set collection thing going on. if you were just to compare this Ronan. To any of the other games coming out in S2 2014, does it really stand up against them?
1: No. <laughs> 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 well, I didn't mention there is that I really didn't enjoy playing Heads of State. Never mind the awful artwork. It, yeah, my, my problem with this, and I'll tell you what my problem is. It's totally, totally, totally abstract. Now they attempt to put some sort of theme on. Thankfully, they've. Ramp that back a bit with Royals you're represented only by wooden cubes, there is no name to you, there's no story it wouldn't make any sense if they tried to make any story out of it I don't know who I am I don't really know what I'm doing and why I think this is entirely the wrong theme for this gameplay this is a case where this is almost, it is really a completely abstract game but they slapped the wrong theme on it and the theme does not work. I think there are other themes they could use with this gameplay system which would make more sense, it would ground the players more, they'd have more idea what they were doing and why, and therefore it would be more of an enjoyable experience. This like I'm a noble person and I'm suddenly I'm the Earl of Edinburgh and then I'm also my brother is like the the Bishop of Cadiz and then Oh, yeah, over at Frankfurt, uh, my uncle is hanging out over there, is like some kind of. Co- what? What is it? No! I know the royal family's interlinked, what have you, but not like this, trust me. Not like this. Theme?
0: You said they ramped back the theme. It was probably the only thing that was mildly interesting. It was the humour that they tried to s- staple this theme onto this. Well, that's that's, that's
1: big use of the word humour. That's a big reach you've gone
0: for there. <laughs> so. I've got a feeling that Rodan really likes this game, but for me, it belongs in a bygone age. It doesn't feel modern. It doesn't feel thematic. It doesn't do anything that any hundred of the games coming out just in this estimate are going to do better. I think it's a disappointment coming from Peter Hawes, a big, big fan of him, big, big fan of his recent work, and I think that probably Head of state was best left to the annals of time. Just yeah, not really singing to me. So definite trap. I think Ronan really likes it though.
1: You know, I think I might be a bit more positive than you expect me to be because a lot of my slate in there was for heads of state, and I am. I don't like the abstraction from the supposed theme here in the Royals. I I, th- I like that they put in smoother gameplay. I like that it looks better. I think that there is. Uh, an interesting game there somewhere, in here, but not that interesting. Certainly not 90 minutes worth of interest in the stay. I think this gets this down to 60 minutes and below. Actually, that is an acceptable time frame for the depth of this game. You're attempting to jump in, you score points in multiple different ways. Everything you do scores points. So, uh, you know, I don't want to slate it completely, because I-, I think they moved a little bit in the right direction but it desperately needs a retheme, and in terms of the new game for Peter Hawes, as Sean said it's a big disappointment for me to see something which was not very popular in the first place, so why they think this is a particular one to, to rework, or they think it's going to be popular this time around, I just can't see it happening um, this is going to get swallowed in the S noise again ah, it's a disappointment and I'm pretty sure this is a trap and that's Royals
0: So there we have it, another 10 games looked over and we've decided whether they are personal traps or treasure to us. Please remember that we haven't played any of these games and we could well change our minds.
1: So we hope you've enjoyed the show and it's helped you make up your mind on some of your s and purchases or not. We are certainly looking forward to delving into lots of the SM releases, and in coming weeks, we will be doing some picking over the bones of the new games coming out, which we're going to cram our bags full of. So, thank you very much, and join us next time on the Game Pit.
0: As always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go along to the Dice Tower Network and find the very finest gaming podcasts. We are also members of 2d6.org. Please go to 2d6.org to find the very finest and gaming goodness if you want to chat to us ask us a question or give us some new ideas for episodes please email us at thegamepitpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com you can find us on facebook and on twitter at game pit podcast and we also have a board game geek guild so join in there for some polls and chat of general gamey nature music by the aaron